0: Please open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. And we'll pick up reading there in verse verse 8. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say it is truth. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me. And understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved, and I have showed. When there was no strange God among you, therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Or that is, who shall stay his hand? In verse 11, he says, Beside me there is no Savior. And then in verse 12, I have declared and have saved. Beloved, Our Savior has saved. Now, a lot of people say, I'm saved. Well, what does that mean? you ever think about what that means? I'm saved? Now, the world makes fun of that. In fact, they they mock that, this being saved. And false religion doesn't know anything about it, although it uses the word saved. My friend, do you know what it means to be saved? Are you saved in the biblical sense of being saved? That's what we're going to look at this morning. What does the Bible teach about being saved? Now, this word saved is the most joyous word in the Bible. Can you think of a more joyous word than the word saved? Even, even temporal salvation is, is joyous. But we're talking about eternal salvation. We're talking about being saved. And just as we read that word saved in Isaiah, it's connected with our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, He's our Savior. Indeed, there's no Savior but Him. And He said there in verse 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. So whether you think much of this word saved or not, I believe it would do well to listen with the utmost care to God's Word this morning, because this is a matter of the utmost importance, this matter of knowing whether you're saved or whether you're lost. You see, whether you're either saved or lost, it's one or the other. You're either truly and really saved in Christ, or you're lost. And I don't hesitate from stating that fact, and I certainly don't mind using the word saved for it's one of the most joyous words in all of Scripture. It's right there connected with the most precious and sweetest name in all the Bible. Jesus, Jesus, Lord Jesus. There's just something about that name. His is the sweetest, most precious name, and as our brother Peter wrote, to you that believe, His name is precious. Why is that? Because there is none other name under heaven Given among men whereby we must be saved. What was it the angel said to Joseph? Do you remember? Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And we know he indeed has saved his people from their sins. Now, when we talk about saved, what do we mean? Well, most people have wrong ideas about that. When I say saved, I'm not talking about somebody that's learned some things in religion or in Sunday school and says, I got saved. That's not what we're talking about here. And we're not talking about having a big revival meeting to get everybody down the aisle so we can put some notches on our belt and say we got 100 people saved. That's not what we're talking about. Beloved, I'm talking about saved. I'm talking about God saved, Holy Spirit saved. saved. I'm talking about saved by God's grace in Christ. Because when we're saved in God's way, that is, by God, that means that we're actually and really forgiven. To be saved by God is to be acquitted. That is, I have no charges against me. All my sins are gone. I stand before God and His holy law not guilty. How's that? Through our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, indeed our Lord, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. We read that in Ephesians one seven. That's what we're talking about this morning. Indeed, when we say saved, we're talking about the redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of all our sins. That's what we mean when we say saved. So to be saved, let me ask the question again. What does it mean? My friend, it means to have peace with God. Beloved, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my friend, we're not talking about a peace treaty here. Now, you'll find that in false religion, where they preached a small g-god that makes peace treaties with sinners, they'll say that that you're to do this, and then there's small g God will do that. Or you do your part, and then there's false God does his. My friend, that's not the way it is. Beloved, our God made peace. Indeed, he accomplished our warfare. How did he do that? Through the blood of his cross. Beloved, that's the peace that being saved brings. It is to have peace through the blood of his cross. Again, what do we mean by saved, friend? I have peace with God through the blood of His cross. To be saved is to be set free from the cursed power and penalty of my sin. Free from the law, O oh happy condition! Jesus had died, and there is full remission. I'm saved. I'm not under the bondage of the law, beloved. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. To be saved is to be set free from the penalty of sin. Beloved, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We read that in Romans 8. And later on in Romans chapter 8, we read, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, Yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So to be saved, what is it? Beloved, it is to have eternal life. I am saved, therefore I shall live forever, and I shall never die. Indeed, our Lord declares, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Now, this old carcass you and I are dragging around shall lie down and not move again until it's reunited with the spirit and soul. But I'm telling you this, beloved, we shall never die. We're free, free from death, for death hath no more dominion over us. So then what is it to be saved? To be saved is not having some mere religious profession. My friend, if that's all you have, then for your own soul's sake, throw it away. You see, a religious profession means absolutely nothing. You've heard that expression, talk is cheap. There must be more, For, for faith alone is dead faith. Further, to be saved, it's not a denominational affiliation. Somebody can say, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Protestant, I'm a Catholic. Well, that won't do. Hell is full of Baptists. Protestants and Catholics. To be saved is not a better morality or a moral reformation where you resolve all of a sudden, I'm going to do better. Or you say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Well, we're all in favor of that, but that's not what it means to be saved. Now, for sure, there are some things you ought not to do that you do. And some things you ought to do that you're not doing. But that's not salvation. That's not what it is to be saved. To be saved is more than sitting here this morning and thinking God is pleased with you because you're in church. That's not what it's about. My friend, you're not doing God a favor this morning by being here. So get that thought out of your head. I need to get that thought out of my head. I'm not doing God a favor by being where I am this morning. God grant that we put that thought far from us. To be saved is not to find and join up with a church and show up as a courtesy every now and then if nothing better comes up. That's not saved. To be saved is to know God. I know God. Can you say that? I know God. By God's undeserved grace in Christ, I know God and I know His Son, Jesus Christ my Lord, whom He has sent. I know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The great triune God, the only God, is my God. I know Him, and more importantly, He knows me. That's what being saved is, to know God. Beloved, by God's grace... We've been made to not merely believe God, but to know Him by God's purpose, grace in Christ. I know that being saved is in Christ. I know it's by His blood and righteousness. Indeed, being saved is by His indescribable, inexhaustible, plenteous mercy and grace. My friend, the Lord is good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon him. Oh, the glory of his mercy and grace. Beloved, we only know in part and we preach in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then we shall know him as we are known. Beloved, we're going to be amazed at the overflowing glory of his grace. Our Lord declares, the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Beloved, can you take the scene in that we will see when the Son of Man shall come in his glory? I can't even begin to contemplate it. And yet, it will happen. You and I will have to have glorified bodies before that ever happens. We wouldn't be able to survive it in these mortal bodies and that will be done when this world and all its attachments are done away with now beloved you need to know this we're saved but we're saved with difficulty turn where with me to first peter first peter chapter 4 And we'll pick up reading there in verse 17. Beloved, we're saved with difficulty. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, there's that word again, saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Now, you need to know what the word scarcely has to do with being saved. First of all, it does not mean barely saved. One time, Sandra, Allison, and I were driving in Mexico, and among the many many things you want to know about before you go driving around in Mexico is this. The railroad crossings are not synchronized with the traffic lights. And in many cases... (coughs) They have no lights, or if they have signage, well, it ain't much. And so we were at a major intersection, and I went ahead on a green light, and all of a sudden I had to maneuver out of the way of a train that was barreling down on us. The locomotive lights and the horns are blaring. Let me tell you, it was like a scene from a movie. Sandra said the train just barely missed her side. And one might say we, we scarcely got out of the way of the train. But that's not what's being talked about here. It doesn't mean that we'll be saved by the skin of our teeth because we're going to enter into glory triumphantly, indeed boldly through the blood and righteousness of Christ. We're not going to barely make it into heaven, though that's the idea of some people they have with this portion. They read, if the righteous scarcely be saved. But that's not what it's talking about here. Look over there with me in Psalm 24. Psalm 24. And look there with me in verse 7. Beloved, we're we're going to come into glory triumphantly because our Lord Jesus doesn't barely save His people. No, beloved, He saves us to the uttermost. Psalm 24, verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Believing sinner, when we come into that place called heaven, when the King of glory comes in, we're coming in united to Him, and His glory shall be our glory when we enter in. So this portion of 1 Peter chapter 4 It doesn't mean that we'll barely be saved or that there's any uncertainty about our salvation. If you look over there in Colossians chapter 2, how rarely is this verse believed in... Well, it's believed in every church of Christ, but in the religion around us, in every corner, how rarely is this verse believed? Colossians chapter 2 Verse 10, and we read there in God's only holy book, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Beloved, we're complete in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so there's not any uncertainty about our state because we are in Christ and we are complete in him. And so the word that we have over here in First Peter chapter 4, this word scarcely, if the righteous scarcely be saved, that word scarcely is a Greek word that means with difficulty, with difficulty. Beloved, this thing of salvation is no easy matter. Now, someone might be sitting there in the pew this morning and make fun of this, oh, perhaps not outwardly, but inwardly. My friend, if you're not listening to God's Word, or maybe you're criticizing something about this preacher, but I'm telling you this, if you're ever saved, it'll be with difficulty. So you ought to look and listen. Now it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, the righteous, now not righteous in of themselves, but the righteous in Christ. And if those in Christ, all the apostles, Paul, Peter, James, and John, and you and me, if we're saved with difficulty. And so what this is saying is, where shall the self-righteous, unbelieving religionists be? Those who believe the lie of salvation by works, how are they going to come in if the righteous are scarcely saved or saved with difficulty? Where is the out-and-out sinner fit in here? Where is the one who makes no pretense of religion? Where are they going to come in? Now, these people who are saved, who God himself, by the work of his Son, by his blood and righteousness, are saved with difficulty. What does God's word mean with difficulty? Where's the difficulty? Where does it lie? Beloved, the difficulty lies with God. It lay with God. Now, I know we say God can do anything. And the Bible teaches there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Indeed, nothing is. But I'll tell you what, this thing of being saved is a difficulty with God. Job kept asking the question, How can a man be just with God? How can God be just and justify the ungodly? How can God be true to His absolute holiness and take us to glory? You think that's not difficult? Most people talk about being saved as if it were such an easy and simple thing. Well, it was easy for us, beloved, for salvation was a gift. What can be easier than receiving a gift? For by grace I was saved through faith, and that not of myself, it was the gift of God, so I don't dare boast. But this difficulty of being saved on God's part is the most profound mystery ever heard. Indeed, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now you talk about without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word was made flesh. Great is the mystery of how God could die on the cross and redeem his church with his blood, the blood of God. Great is this mystery. What a difficult mystery. Every attribute of God's perfect holiness must be met. God will be your God in salvation, or God will be your God in condemnation. But God will be God. That's what we're talking about this morning, this thing of being saved and the difficulty of it. Beloved, the difficulty of this salvation, it laid with God. And in order to resolve this difficulty and meet the need of sinners like you and like me, He gave His only begotten Son. That's why Christ came. My friend, God is not trying to do anything. He's doing what He set out to do. And he sent his only begotten son into this world to resolve this difficulty. How can God save sinners and yet be true to his absolute holiness? That's the problem confronting God. And he resolved it by sending his son, Christ Jesus, into the world to save sinners. Through his precious blood and perfect righteousness, beloved, we are saved. And he's going to do it perfectly, beloved. Indeed, he'll save everyone he came to save. So-called preachers say, this is what God wants you to do. My friend, let me tell you plainly, you are going to do exactly what God wants you to do. There's no doubt about that. God may send you to hell from this service if you don't pay attention. He might, and he can. Our Lord Jesus tells us, Fear not them which kill the body. We're checking the doors, I imagine. We're concerned about security. Don't fear the one who's got a gun. Don't fear the one who's got a knife. This is what our Lord is teaching us. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Beloved, we worship the God who declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. And irrespective of what men may think, that's the way it is. Indeed, God works all things according to the counsel of His own will. Not according to the counsel of your will, my friend, but His will. Men like to talk about free will. Well, there is only one free will in all of creation, and it's God's will. Your will is bound, and my will is bound, until Christ comes and sets us free. Now, this thing of redeeming sinners was a difficult thing, for it took the death of God's own beloved Son to satisfy all of God's attributes. Now, we can also say that this difficulty of being saved lies with us, can't we? But we can't call it a difficulty. For when we relate it to ourselves, we say it was an utter impossibility. For by nature, we could not and would not come to Christ. Our Lord said to those unbelieving Pharisees, You will not come to me that you might have life. And so here's the problem. How will you get that sinner to come to Christ willingly? How will you get him to do what he won't do? How will you get that sinner to come to Christ lovingly when he hates God. How will you get that sinner to come to Christ permanently when he's so unfaithful and changeable? That's difficult for God and indeed it's utterly impossible with us. Many so-called preachers promise the people your best life now. They promise people heaven, two cars in the garage, a disease-free body and a new home and financial security And the lustful, greedy sinner just laps it up and says, I want to trust Jesus. No, my friend, all he wants is all those things. Men love darkness rather than light. So how in the world are they going to love the light? We're lovers of self. To be saved, you and I have to be a lover of God. Well, how are you going to turn all that around? Children, hear me. You're in the same boat with the rest of us. You were born into this world just as much a hater of God as your parents. Now, how are you going to be turned around? Well, I'll tell you, you're not going to muster it up yourself. It's not a mere decision. It's not a mere profession or walking down an aisle. It's not raising your hand at a meeting and accepting Jesus It's a regenerating work of God that you and I must have. Our Lord Jesus declares, except a man be born again, he cannot see. Indeed, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. My friend, it's a new birth. It's passing from death to life. It's Christ being formed in you, the hope of glory. And that's impossible with man. If the righteous with difficulty be saved, then the Spirit of God must raise the dead. The Spirit of God must make a friend of enemies, and this takes a miracle of grace. The man who is saved is not the same man. He's different. He becomes kind and forgiving. He's changed. Well, what happened to him? Well, he says he got saved. Well, that's not exactly how it happens. That's an unfortunate expression. That God business. The truth of the matter is, God saves people. God saves his people. God saved him. Why is he so different? He becomes kind and forgiving, and he loves to go to church. He loves to hear preaching. What happened to him? God the Spirit saved him and brought him to Christ. Our Lord put being saved much more plainer and clearer. He said, When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. My unsaved friend, the reason you don't like church, the place where you can hear the Spirit of truth testifying of Christ, is because you're on your way to hell. The reason why you don't like to hear the preaching of Christ is because hell is going to be your final home. And my friend, if God doesn't do something for you and come help you where you are, that's where you're headed. Now, this easy-peasy believism can't get the job done. It won't make you love God, and it certainly won't make you love what God loves and hate what God hates. My friend, with men... Being saved is not only difficult, it is absolutely impossible. So what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Beloved, we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel. My friend, do you know why we preach the gospel? Is there someone here this morning and does not know why we preach the gospel? (laughs) We preach the gospel because it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And that's every believing sinner in this room. And we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beg you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead Be ye reconciled to God. And we keep preaching. We keep begging. And every once in a while, God touches a heart. That's my ardent prayer Lord, spend me for the glory of thy son and the good of thy people. So we preach, expecting him to save his people. And indeed, he shall. (laughs) He shall. Beloved, he said he would honor his word and he'll honor it in the way he chooses, when he chooses, to whom he chooses. And so by God's grace, we'll keep on preaching no matter what happens, waiting on the Lord. So beloved, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The believing sinner is not the bad-tempered, mean man he used to be. Now, he's not perfect in your sight, my friend, but in Christ, he's perfect in God's sight. Friend, I'll I'll tell you this. I'd be real careful while I was here this morning in the Lord's presence. I'd be careful about what I did, what I said, and what I thought. Why is that? Because the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And unto us which are saved it is the power of God. I pray you don't walk out of here this morning thinking that what you've just heard is foolishness. Now, one other thing is this. We're saved by faith. Look over there in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. verse 50. Luke chapter 7, verse 50. These are the words of our Lord in the latter part of this verse. And He said, Our Lord Jesus Christ said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Well, pastor, you just said God did the saving. You just said that it was by his power and will that God did it. And now we go over here and read our Lord declaring to this woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. But you remember I said, The man who once hated God will love him. The man who won't come to God will come in the day of God's power. Indeed, we read in the Psalms, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, and not one moment before. Our Lord was out preaching one day, and there was a woman there, and she heard him preach, and she heard him. Now, I hope you know the difference between listening and hearing. All of you are listening, but how many of you are hearing? She heard him. And then the Lord immediately after that went to Simon's house, the the Pharisee. And this woman who heard him went home and got a box of precious ointment. And she found out that he was at Simon the Pharisee's house. And so she went to that house, the the house where the Lord was. And so here's this religious crowd. And they're sitting around listening to our Lord. And this woman came in. And everybody knew what kind of woman she was. She was a bad woman, a harlot, a prostitute. But when she came in, her eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And she looked at him, and they looked at her. You could have heard a pin drop. Everything was just still and quiet. She looking at him, and they're looking at her. And suddenly she fell down at his feet and she began to sob and weep and she kissed his feet and the tears fell on his feet and then she took her hair which evidently was very long and while she was doing all of this our Lord sat there without saying a word. Can you picture it? After she wet his feet with her tears she took her hair and she wiped his feet dry and then she took that precious ointment that she had gone to get and she anointed his head the pharisees sitting there looking at all that and you know the despising eyes of a pharisee they really can look harshly at you those who trust in themselves as being righteous they they despise others that's what our lord has taught us and the pharisee saw and thought to himself well i told that i told you that jesus was a phony because if he wasn't a phony he would know what kind of manner or what kind of woman had touched him And then the Lord Jesus spoke and he said to this Pharisee, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And Simon said, well, go ahead, master. And the Lord said, a man had two debtors, two debtors. One was a little debtor, didn't owe him much. And the other one owed him a whole lot. And he freely forgave them both. Who do you think loved him the most? And Simon the Pharisee said, Well, I suppose the one to whom he forgave most. And the Lord Jesus said, That's well said, Simon. Since I came in here, you washed not my feet, you gave me no kiss, you gave me no oil for my head. But this woman came in and hath washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. And the Lord said to the woman, to be sure that Simon the Pharisee heard it, Thy sins are forgiven. Simon, her sins are forgiven and you still have yours. Simon, she's saved and you're lost. Everything this woman had was for the Lord. All others present were taken up with themselves and their theological questions and positions. My friend, you can't talk about faith apart from this listen God give you grace to hear the object of saving faith is him the Lord Jesus Christ all you have must be directed to him and he turned to her and said thy faith has saved thee it was her faith that's what he said I'm your faith That's what our Lord was saying to this woman. Thy faith in me has saved thee. Beloved, the words I'm about to read from God's word in a moment have saved so many of his people. (laughs) Our Lord said, No one can enter into the kingdom of heaven except by water and the Spirit. I'm about to read to you is clear, clean gospel water. And I pray that if someone here has not heard the gospel, someone here who's still trusting in their own filthy rag righteousness, God will grant you to hear the gospel in these words. By grace are you saved. Through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen.